Hello, everyone. Welcome back to First Listen Media. Today, we got something a little different and very special for all of you. We're going to talk about the music scene in PA with my friends, the owners of Brutal Business Entertainment, Brutal <laughs> Records, and my friend from Big Eleanor Records. What's up, guys? Good evening. Good evening. All right, Good let's, everybody. Get, let's get started, shall we? <laughs> now, tell me about your labels. Who wants to go first? I will take I'll it with Danny. You start us off, man. Oh, sure. Yeah. So uh, right now you're listening. Uh, this is Danny Nono uh, out of Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Uh, founder, creator, manifester of Big Eleanor Records. Um, my goal is to basically help push creativity as far as it can go and help redefine what the word focus can mean for you. So I do that in many ways, whether it's behind the drum set, whether it's brainstorming, whether it's managing, just whether it's addition by subtraction, whatever it is, I just put art before anything else. And it's just all about getting as pure of an art product as possible. All right, let's go with Brutal Business next. Well, my name is Patrick McElravey. I run Brutal Business Entertainment. Uh, we're a label generally based out of uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Uh, we have some people over in Ohio. We have artists out in Washington State, down in Texas, Florida. Uh, we're kind of, for the most part, we're based out of Pittsburgh, but we're kind of spread out all over. Um, we have our dabble in music, audio engineering, uh, modeling, game streaming, uh, putting on live events, uh, a little bit of everything all in one. Uh, I've been only, I've only had the label itself for a year and a half now. Brutal Business itself has been around since 2011. Uh, it's, it's, been a, it's been a crazy ride to say the least. Uh, a lot of growing pains. Uh, definitely been learning a lot along the way. Um, it's a labor of love, man. That's that's the most I could say about it. It's a labor of love. Uh, it's all about music and you know pushing everybody's you know art and craft and trying to get it out there to the masses. All right, let's go with our friend Moon Rocket. How's it going, guys? Thanks for inviting me. My name is Frank Cervantes. I'm from Moon Rocket Records. <laughs> Moon Rocket is something that I started uh, about three years ago to. Uh, basically, you know, do the typical thing, uh, you know, start a label to represent my own band Retroglyphs. And then during the, you know, the, the pandemic or, you know, the lockdown or the time of restricted gigs or whatever, um, I found myself, uh, you know, with idle time and wanting to uh, expand. So uh, this past year, um, 2021, we had uh, releases that uh, a lot of it, a lot of it was plotted and planned and developed during uh, during the time when there was no live shows. But we had releases from Amelie Swan, uh, Roxy Fay, uh, uh, an artist named Diamond Ace, and an artist named Rory Lynch. Uh, so I had some releases not named, uh, you know, Frank stuff that you know uh, wasn't me. And at that point, we, and I guess we became a record label. Um, and then from there, um, in the process of promoting those artists, we got pretty heavily into uh, Spotify playlisting. And we also have a PR department. Uh, we started a music blog. 
and we are basically um, I think it's I think it's fair to say that we are uh, professional curators. Uh, we do work with some of the um, you know some of the of the big playlisting companies as curators. Um, but also, you know, we created those playlists to support the artists on our label, um, but it also led to immediate profitability from the playlist, which helps, uh, helps us, uh, you know, support and fund the artists that we work with. Um, historically, I have been really, really heavily involved in the Philadelphia music scene uh, for the past 15 years. Um, and Twice was uh, the main talent buyer at two different venues. Um, and uh, really, I'm just a purveyor of local arts. Uh, but in the lockdown situation, I think I definitely became more aware of, uh, you know, the international market uh, for, for music. And, um, you know, if it, you know, just the fact that there's just more people than your initial community. Um, who you can connect with. Um, but most of my life has been spent promoting local music. Hell yeah, dude. I love that. That's great. I should probably explain my program too, because I know you haven't actually met me yet. I run First Listen Media, which is more of like a broadcast system to help bands spread their music, whether it be from my state, Pennsylvania, or worldwide. Because I started this up, but music saved my life. And that's kind of where I am now. And I'm going to keep going on with it till I'm dead. <laughs> I have no regrets doing this either. Best decision I ever fucking made. That's what's up, dude. I made a lot of good friends from it. Like everyone here. Right. Now, speaking of live shows, I have heard they've been coming back. Tell me a bit about how it's like right now for you guys. Well, it's funny, but the live show situation, I mean, at first it was kind of like, I, I think it, it was a little bit of, of people getting frustrated and saying, you know, we can't live without music. We've sacrificed so much of our mental health to sit at home. So the first things that really came back for original artists were house shows. And I think it really showed the strength and the value of the house show scene for, uh, you know, the past few months, whether you agree with it or not. I mean, you know, obviously uh, bands want to play um, and, you know, um, it's, it's kind of a tricky situation. You know, I, I, I want to toe the line of, you know, I don't want to get into politics of the situation. For me, the bottom line is, you know, uh, people are allowed to do it again. And, uh, as far as Philly goes, the city itself has been uh, a little reluctant, uh, a lot of the venues, and just recently really, to some extent, maybe we're at full, you know, uh, the venues that didn't close, because a lot of them did, um, are, are pretty much all back to doing shows, uh, I think, at full capacity. Um, but the house show scene uh, really kept a lot of bands working who were doing original music um, this summer. And uh, I, there's more house show venues. And I think when people think house shows, they only think um, uh, of college kids. Uh, but really the house show scene 
Um, it's kind of like almost like the Chitlin circuit uh, back in the day. I mean, if you there's an adult house show scene too. Um, you know, for adult contemporary people in their 30s and even 40s, 50s, and so on, depending on what kind of music. And if you kind of figure out who those people are, and you, you end up doing one or two of them, you kind of figure out who's in the circuit. And there's really, I mean, there's a national circuit of house shows that are um, supporting and, and keeping artists on the road. Um, so yeah, as far as live shows here goes, uh, covers came back first tribute bands original bands are starting to come back but mostly have been supported by house shows all right what, I, uh, what tribute band what was the first tribute band you seen first tribute band show you went to <laughs> so i actually uh don't go to any tribute bands uh shows myself but i am in three tribute bands so oh, all you do is go to tribute shows then yeah <laughs> well, I play tribute shows. Um, as a performer, I do about 100 shows a year. Um, and it's a big part of my income. It's like a third of my income. Um, I'm 37 years old. And I spent all of my 20s just all in on original music. Um, but there comes a point where you got to pay the bills. And if you're able to be uh, a jack of all trades and you're a natural at it, uh, you're leaving a lot of money on the table if you deny yourself uh, you know, the ability to perform in your area full time and make good money. Um, as far as like doing covers and stuff, the thing I like about tributes or, you know, like doing like, so we do like a Tom Petty show, you know, is right. you, you get to pit, you get to tell people exactly what you're playing and you get to play what you want to play, you know? So you get to play the artists that you like, as opposed to doing a general, cover show where you're going to end up playing you know journey and mm -hmm. not that i don't like journey but uh you know you're going to have to play all those cliche sweet home alabamas and stuff um so if you do a tribute thing uh you know you can cover your favorite band albeit whether it's jimmy world or weezer um or if you want to do the beatles or whoever and you, you know you can just do that all night um but we're not here to talk about that so who, uh, is it like tribute as in you just play a bunch of, or is it like a specific band? Like, oh no, it's like, um, I mean, I was involved in Candy Volcano, which was, it is a David Bowie tribute band. I don't really play with them anymore. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, we did Candy Volcano and I mean, you know, I mean, we play at the TLA, we play XPM free at noon for Bowie week. Um, you know, I mean, they're, they're pretty, I mean, it's a pretty fun gig for a, working musician who's putting a lot of time into the original stuff to have the opportunity to kind of like let loose every once in a while and not have to worry so much about you know all the all the stuff that goes into it I mean I've really been uh I've really given my soul to rock and roll and um I'm not going to de deny myself the you know the rewards of all of that time I spent um you know just based out of uh you know, uh, you know, a, 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 a standard that I've already met or for so long. I mean, you can only meet that standard for so long. But as far as like what I do with original music and the label and stuff, it's really separate from what I do to make money as a guitar player. Yeah, of course. Yeah.
right. I actually loved that. That was great. <laughs> yeah, that was definitely a great start to this, for real, dude. <laughs> it really was. I think I thought it was fantastic. Now I'm like, man, I gotta follow that up. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of that, I guess it's your turn now, Pat. I guess so. Uh, what, 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 we, what are we working with here? Well, I, I probably end up ended up coming into this side of the business in the worst time possible because uh, I got it right as COVID was happening and beginning to shut everything down. Um, my band, Nine Stitch Method, we had signed to Brutal Business Entertainment uh, in early 2019. Uh, BBE was uh, predominantly, I think it was pretty much all horrorcore and hip hop at that point. And we were the first metal act to get signed. Uh, with them we'd known about a lot of them guys for a long time uh they, they were in and around our scene and whatnot but like i just kind of like that whole like community collective type vibe about bbe and when me and josh had reached out to them uh garrett uh aka skippy Ickham, he uh you know had a meeting with him and everything he took us in and it was just crazy because a year later he was looking to step out put music down he was starting to have kids and uh he'd been really really into the occult uh, a lot of practices and stuff like that and he wanted to go do that stuff and just put music down and i'd only been with the label for a year him and i had grown pretty close i was pretty much like his second hand man and uh he was pretty much like if you want it here's the keys of the kingdom uh if not i'm probably going to put it down and it was just kind of one of them things like okay, well, it's not every day, you know, something like this lands in your lap, you know. But like I said, as I was getting the keys to the label, everything was, everything we knew, at least that I knew was an artist, had pretty much closed down. You know, because my thing was promoting through, you know, playing shows and getting out there and selling merch and whatnot. And we couldn't do that. And what was hard for me was, like I said, the label was predominantly hip hop. And I'm a, I'm a hard rock and heavy metal singer. Like, it, as time has progressed, my vision of the label, like, has changed over time. You know, now we're, I think, 50-50, you know, with, you know, rock and metal and, you know, hip-hop and whatnot. But it's just crazy, the, the different world of, you know, like I said, the rap and the rock and whatnot. Two totally different you know, not only stylistically, but just in the way people operate within them genres and doing business and whatnot. It's, it's been crazy. It's, but just, get, it's, we've had a good year now that shows are coming back. Um, we've been able to have a lot of the bands opening up for a lot of the big tours that are coming through. Uh, we've had our guys opening up for like Head P.E., Attila, Twisted, Alisana, you know, a bunch of, you know, pretty big names and stuff. You know, we've been able to get people in front of big crowds and shit. So it's, it's been good. Things are slowly coming back around. Um, like we were throwing a lot of shows in 2019 under the BBE moniker, but with COVID and everything, I, we've been trying to slowly step back into it, but I'm a little reluctant just to set things up and then, you know, things close back down again, you know, with COVID and whatnot. So just kind of baby stepping back into it. But like our, I, uh, What's the homie that was just talking? What did he? What was his name? Frank. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like Frank said, like throughout COVID, though, like the house show circuit, 
that really never stopped. And it was crazy because like a lot of times, like you'd maybe get like 10, maybe 15 people at them shows. But I, I know probably in the second half of 2020, like we were talking like 70 to 100 people showing up at them shows. You know, obviously it's not really good because of COVID and everything, you know, during the midst of a pandemic, but like there was an outcry and there was an outpouring for, you know, people wanted live music, you know, they wanted to feel that again, you know, people took it for granted and they realized that. So just in general, with shows have been relatively a lot better, you know, now that we're coming out of the pandemic and whatnot, but it's, it's been crazy, dude. It's just a lot of, this is crazy. Life is crazy. The world we live in now is crazy. And I think it's honestly been not even for just musicians and whatnot, but it's been an awakening for everybody, you know, of how what we take for granted, you know, can be taken away from us. Very easily, too. Like, part of that's how I got to meet you in Dakota, actually. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you already know that story. Yeah, yeah. But it's just, just in general, I mean, coming out of the pandemic, this for myself... I mean, it's, it's been, as a musician myself, it's been possibly the craziest and busiest year I've ever had as a freelance artist, working and recording with different musicians around the globe, uh, putting out my own music and projects and whatnot. It's just, 2021 has been a blur, dude. Busy, crazy, crazy busy. And I mean, at, at the end of the day, that's, that's what we want. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's the problem we want to have is not being able to keep up. Yeah, I definitely agree. Uh, this year has been um, crazy busy. And I think part of it is, you know, there's a little of that euphoria with music coming back of, uh, you know, I mean, there's like more places to perform at uh, in some capacity, um, you know, between, um, you know, and for what it's worth, like, and, and you could do original music in these places too, uh, breweries, wineries, yeah. bars, you know, um, 20 years ago when, uh, it, to some extent when I got started, or I guess you could say 17 years ago is when I really got started and playing out live consistently. There were not a lot of places that wanted to do music. The 90s had kind of ruined uh, having music in you know establishments part of it was i think just because of the vibe that of, of grunge or whatever you know um but now uh there's it, it seems like there's so many places that want to have music that you know i get um i get offers almost every week of places that are trying to fill last minute dates and stuff um because well one of the things is obviously because uh, you know, if you have a relationship with these places, they're looking for you to fill from all the COVID cancellations, mm -hmm. um, of which there have been a ton. And that's opened up some opportunities for people to sneak into a slot, uh, because, um, somebody, somebody canceled. And it's also created opportunities for bands because some artists are not willing to play, um, to, sneak into some slots where you know that audience is already established in terms of like tickets are have already been bought and stuff yep, you know yep. true, um true. yeah so it but the sad thing about it is you know 
to some extent, we're benefiting off of all the people who hit really hard times during COVID. And uh, some of them, I mean, I know people who literally sold all their gear, you know, um, or just like decided, you know, their mental health got so bad that they quit performing um, or quit music. Um, They couldn't do it anymore. Um, So, and, and, you know, they haven't come back yet uh, to start playing, you know. Um, I think to some extent, obviously, the other thing is, um, like, unfortunately, I'm tempted to say that, like, the way that we did bands is not like before it would be like you would have everyone would do bands and then like to be a solo artist was like an outlier you know but now i feel like it you know with modern technology and recording everything it's more likely that to get like a solo artist who then builds a band around you know the music that they created than four guys getting together in a room and creating songs (laughs) <laughs> i'll be well I'll, I'll be real with you like my, my main band non-stitch method we're only a two-piece right uh, and we got shit on so bad when we first started and we we sucked we were bad like there was a lot of growing pains with it but i mean we uh we kind of you know it was just one of them things i was personally i i have a very very hectic life family man i work 12 to 16 hours a day and I was tired of working with people. So me and my buddy, Josh, we were like, all right, let's just try this little recording project. And then he actually booked our first gig and I didn't know, but like, as time has gone on, like we're opening up for national acts and stuff. And it's kind of become a thing where people are like, oh dude, like I want to do the backtrack band thing. And we're like, don't do it. Just form a full band and whatnot. <laughs> but even like, yeah, with COVID though, like we weren't, Josh and I weren't getting together. So I went solo and I just went out and started performing. You know what I mean? Just like you said, with technology, the way things have come, it was easy for me to do that and adapt like that. And hell, even with my solo stuff, I've opened up for a couple national acts this year and have been able to, you know, travel and play, play it out and whatnot. It's, and in general, like the last, you really look at it, the last five, I, I'll, I'll even go to say 10, even like what we're doing tonight, like stuff like podcasts, blogs, and all that kind of stuff, the opportunities to get coverage and stuff for the smaller bands and whatnot. We didn't have that whenever we first started. You know what I'm saying? No. You know, it was no. all like trying to get, you know, in with the local radio DJ and whatnot. It, it's a totally different world than what it was 10 years ago. And not only that, but when we, you know, when we, even when we had MySpace, that was the only thing and everybody was on it, you know, yeah, yeah, 100%. now depending, you know, like if, if you're lucky enough as a label, you will have an artist who makes good music, makes good videos, uh, does great photos, uh, engages their on social media and performs regularly, all those things and plays well live, right? Usually you're going to get an artist that's good at one or two of those. Yep, 100%. Seldom are you going to get someone who's good at all of them. If you're lucky enough to get an artist who's good at all of them, like, <coughs> and then they also, they bring the commitment, you know, because the other thing is you can get someone that's good at all of it, but they don't have the commitment. But I guess commitment goes with being good on social media and stuff. If you're not committed, you can't be good at it. 
you know, um, I mean, I guess occasionally you get someone who's able to post once a month and just drive up a lot of engagement with just very little posting, but usually you have to post often, you know, but what, what really brought me to get excited about doing uh, a label uh, during, you know, during the pandemic and what drove me to really start connecting with artists about working with them was that, you know, going back to what you said about your band, you know, and initially in your local community, uh, people weren't receiving it well or whatever. Um, I tell artists so much like, you know, like, like you, you, whatever music you're making might just not be for the people around you. You got to find your fans. And right now with the way that, and Spotify considers themselves a social network too, you know? Um, and, and obviously, you know, I know among a lot of musicians, Spotify is a dirty word because they don't pay artists well. Um, but I don't even think it's an income generator. I don't see it like that. I see it as a, um, a like a marketing tool. Yeah. Yeah. 100%. Like a marketing tool. 100%. But, but even with Spotify and, you know, Instagram and TikTok and, and Twitter and uh, what else is there? Uh, I don't know. Facebook. Yeah. Right. Um, that's what we were talking. I mean, there's a lot of, you don't need to be a master of all of them, but if you're good at one of them, um, or if you can find where those people are that like your kind of music, even if, I mean, and now we even have, um, what is that one that I see popping up a lot now that discord, right? Yeah, (laughs) no discord or Reddit even, you know, um, you know, like if you if you can find those communities where people like the kind of music that you're promoting, you just have to find them and then obviously put yourself out there. Now, the harsh reality of it is, you know, not everything catches on, you know. Um, I think that as an artist, the hardest thing to do is to make a choice of whether or not you want to, I would say adapt. Maybe in the nineties, we would have called it conform, but I would say whether or not you want to adapt to the sensibilities of your scene, or if you want to stay stubborn to, uh, you know, what you're doing. And what I always ask people is, because I also do a lot of um, consulting and mentoring with artists who aren't, are not on the label um, about their music. And what I always ask them is listen to your music subjectively and ask yourself if it connects with the music that you actually listen to. Like the stuff that when you get in the car, you put it on. Now, does your music, would you put on your song? You know, so beyond the point of, you know, I'm listening to myself all the time, you know, which is just like weird, you know, but do you want to listen to the music you're making? So that's the first question, because, you know, if you got to look at it subjectively and, and, you know, a lot of what I see is, and I know we've all seen it, everyone has seen this, who loves and embraces local music people who are incredibly talented who have not delivered the product 
Nope, I hear that 100%. I've seen right. that happen a lot. 100%. I know exactly what you're talking about. Right. That was like, it's one of them things people get excited. They record. Uh, and I'm guilty of this myself. I'm sure all of us here are. You know, oh, yeah, we're writing songs. You record a shitty demo in a garage, then you put it out to the world. And that is the first thing that the world gets to hear to represent your band. <laughs> well, <laughs> and it's I not think, what it's supposed to be. I think that's a byproduct of, of paying too much attention to your local people. You know, because, you know, I mean... How, you know, and I think that's that's another thing that I think from a local perspective, artists make that mistake too much is, you know, not everybody, I hate to say it, but not everybody's opinion matters when it comes to your music, you know, um, you know, like, oh, well, you know, you guys kind of remind me of this or that or, you know, it's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like you got to. Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you have to recognize those people around you who do know what they're talking about. And you have to make sure that you're, you know, you put them in a situation to give you constructive quality feedback. You know, you definitely don't want to be cornering them in a bar, you know. Um, uh, but, you, you know, like it, the local music scene is... It, it, it's 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 a it's a multi-headed monster you know obviously you have people who are talented who are trying to break out of their scene you have people who uh are talented but don't really have a venue that caters to their style in their local community you know and that's where i say diy you know when you don't have the tools in front of you uh, the way that I see local scenes die, like when you have a venue and at the end of the day, we're all, to some extent, we're all trying to support the places that we play, right? And 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 in that, we're trying to support those owners, you know? They got to make money to stay open and they also have to do good shows to encourage them to continue to do that, you know? Because anybody who's in the music industry is making a sacrifice and they're, and they're doing it for the love, you know, unfortunately what happens a lot is from my experience and being someone who's booked venues and stuff, it attracts people who have no musical knowledge, like to open venues because that's their way in. If you're a musician, you're in like you're playing shows. So what, you know, seldom do you get musicians who open venues, the guys opening venues are like, yeah, you know, I used to sell cars and I saved some money and I always, I love music. And it's like, you don't know anything about booking or you don't really know what good music is and you don't know what an audience likes. Those are the venues that probably end up doing the most successful though. You know what I mean? So that's kind of a tough thing to say. I mean, in, in our no. souls, you say no, but you don't think the ones that have the most funds coming in are become the most successful. Obviously, musicians can't run the venues because then they're too busy running the venue. So someone has to run the venue. So. Well, that... I can only say, I can only speak to what I've seen in, in Philly and what's been successful. And I think a great example, two great examples are Johnny Brenda's. Are you guys familiar with that place? Mm -hmm. Johnny Brenda's and union transfer. And 
what made those venues successful, unit transfer would be the, the whole R5 production. So you guys familiar with R5? It's, it's that guy, Sean Agnew. Um, you know, like, like uh, Johnny Brenda's was, you know, basically booked by somebody who, who very early on, I mean, they gave the booking to somebody who's in local bands, who's in good local bands. And um, they were kind of like uh, very protective of what was booked at the venue and the aesthetic that they were going for as compared to what I saw at a lot of other venues, which were really only concerned with how many people you were going to bring. Um, and in the end, that was a death sentence. And the reason it's a death sentence is because you want to encourage traffic that doesn't know who's playing your venue. You want to, you know, so people come out and they see something that's not good. It hurts the scene, you know? And so it kind of goes back to what I was saying about how, you know, when there's not a venue for you in your scene, it doesn't really do you any good to pressure that venue to have you if your music doesn't connect with the people that go there. It, it, it just hurts the scene. You're better off creating your own thing at a VFW or whatever. And in the end, you would create something more sustainable for everyone. Um, and yeah, so I, I know we were talking about, you know, what Johnny Brenda's did and, and how, um, you know, they, uh, what, I, what I watched them do compared to other venues is other venues were so concerned with how many people were coming in every night, making sure that they, you know, hit this arbitrary quota. We're really the only people getting paid. The venue wasn't even really getting paid. The only people getting paid were, there was like the promoter and the sound guy, you know? Um, and the bands certainly weren't, get, weren't getting paid. And all of those venues are gone. Uh, but Johnny Brenda's is still there. Other venues have started. Um, and then Sean Agnew from Union Transfer came out of the DIY scene where he had the foresight to say, okay, bands that I like are not getting booked. I'm going to bring them to Philly, and I'm going to tell the people who like that kind of music uh, where the shows are, you know? And, and, you know, so he was basically a scene-ster who started, uh, you know, he was doing shows at, like, the First Unitarian Church and the Rotunda, and, um, you know, so, so a lot of that, you know, when when whenever i'm like looking at like a, a a music scene you know in another community and it's like oh well you know there's nowhere to play or whatever it's like well someone has to take the reins because there's definitely places that you can rent out or whatever or you you know or even like the house show scene you're better off doing that than trying to push yourself on a <laughs> bar or a crowd or whatever that really doesn't cater to well, you do, because like I said, it just hurts the scene and it hurts the potential that more people, more business owners are going to jump in and want to have live music because they're going to say, well, that place had music and they failed, you know. So it's like, I feel like a, a local music community has to have, um, you know, it has to have, a, a, you know, somebody to kind of steer it. 
you know, in the right direction. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear from you guys what, uh, what you think has worked best to build your scenes. All right, we'll let you go next, Mr. Danny No-No. Yeah, um, so I'm still, uh, still relatively floor level with my operation. Uh, I still am in the mud with it. So I personally do not have, you know, the effect as far as like shifting any of or making any decisions that could be city shifting or scene shifting or musical direction shifting. I'm still just at the point of making the connections that I feel are useful right now. Um, and just kind of observing. Um, as far as Lancaster right now, it is like a pretty, there's like a, there's like a hodgepodge. Um, as you guys know, Lancaster in like the mid, early, mid 2000s was that big, uh, like the metal core or like the August mm -hmm. Burns Red and the Texas in July. You know, I mean, there's that big. So Lancaster is not far removed from having a world shifting scene. Um, so I feel like it's still at a spot where there's a couple bands, but there's still not like a scene that's fully developed. There's a couple bands that are in like an indie. There's a couple bands that are just in this and that. Um, so as far as kind of, I'm still new. I don't have a much game to spit as far as like scene shifting knowledge or, or music shifting. Um, I'm still ground level. So right now my hopes and how I feel just I can help out my scene is just by trying to motivate everyone I come across. Um, and that's basically all I have in this conversation. You guys have been around a little bit longer. You guys have, you know, book shows or been, you know, touring bands and then been in kind of a more professional atmosphere than I've probably been. So I don't have much to contribute to that specifically. Uh, I'm still on the observing side when it comes to Lancaster. All right. And in terms of my community, how you mentioned how we're trying to grow our stuff, my end goal is to make a place for unsigned indie bands and local bands plus small little bands to help get themselves where they want to be. That's my end goal with this whole program. And eventually, I've actually been talking to Dakota from DI, who is sadly not with us right now, about in the near future about opening up a shop where there would be a place for all live bands to come and play. That's kind of like a record shop mixed with a dive bar kind of feel. That's what I'm aiming to achieve. Dive bars are my favorite. I went to my first yeah, one on Friday, and it was I a blast. A, I you know, what I love I about that, dive bars. what I love about the idea of doing a record store that has music, and, and there was one in Bordentown, but they stopped having music a little bit ago. Um um, but what I love about any kind of like a mixed format thing like that is in a small scene, it, it really takes somebody being, I think, I think it really benefits to have someone who is, um, you know, really able to really be, uh, be out there telling people what's going on to the point where, you know, uh, like, if you're, like, have a store that has, like, traffic, you know, somebody comes in your record store and they buy a certain album that connects with the artist that's going to play there, you could be like, yo, if you like this, you got to come out 
and, you know, see this band we got booked because, you know, they're like this style and whatever. And I think in the local scene, like, you know, when, when I was, um, both times that I worked a venue, I mean, we did really well. And I feel like the first venue we did, Hebe Music, when I was doing the booking there for um, about six months, and both, both times when I booked at a venue ended in the owner saying, well, we saw what you did. We don't need you anymore. We can do this, you know, which is kind of funny. And then both times didn't really go that well um, for them. And they both you gotta have the kind of personality to sell that too. Like it's more than just that. Like you gotta, it's, it's like anything, you know, like when you, you know, I think you understand what I'm trying to say. No, I do. And, and well, the other thing though, is you have to have a little bit of conviction. Yeah, you have to have the conviction when you're in front of people, but you have to have the instinct when you're behind the scenes to know what's going to go well, you know. Um, and I, I think one of the things I did with both those venues when I started is uh, I really I, I kind of like stopped, you know, performing a lot and was there at, at the first, you know, two months of shows really at the front desk and people were walking in and saying, oh, you're here. To, who'd you come to see tonight? Oh, you came to see these guys. Cool. Hey, if you like this, you know, in two weeks, this band's playing, you probably like them too. You know, you should come back. And then, you know, people would come back and they'd, and they'd, uh, you know, they'd bring their friends and they'd go, Hey, uh, hey, this is the owner. He's great. And I'd be like, I'm not the owner. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the owner would be like, What the hell, man? Everyone thinks you're the owner. Why'd you tell them that? And I'm like, I didn't tell anyone else the owner. But, you know, uh, like I said, I, uh, the, the ownership of venues for some reason tends to be people who don't have that person ability. And it's not much different than, um, you know, the idea that you go to some bars for good service, you know, I mean, you get, you're getting the same beer, you know, but why do you go back? Cause you like the bartender, you know, um, I, I think that's a better example than, than the food one, because I, I'm one of those people that, I mean, I like good service at a restaurant, but if the food's bad, forget it. Like, I'm not coming back for good service, you know? Um, but, uh, and it's kind of the same thing with music. I mean, if the music's bad, forget it. So you want to have consistently good music, you know? Um, but the other side of it is it does, it does help to have somebody personable to be kind of like there in the venue. I mean, I've seen so many venues fall by the wayside because you know they had bouncers at the front who were like super rude and nasty to uh, everyone that came in you know and people didn't want to go back there you know um you know uh to have the strength to go to the venue and tell them like look like it's funny like we used to go we used to play at this venue um i don't want to say where it is but they had this problem and it was really bad like it was like well-known among the scene, like, wow, the people that work at the front are awful, you know, or really nasty sound guy who's just like super rude, you know? And the venue was basically like several people complained, several bands, and the venue was basically like, yeah, like you don't have to play here, screw you. Like, we were like, oh, okay. Like, wow, that's the vibe. Well, guess what? That venue closed. Because there was a shooting at the front. One of the bouncers got shot. So, like, 
you know, they're gone. And that doesn't service anybody because they had a beautiful stage, a nice sound system that, uh, you know, they had other good staff members, you know. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you know, within your local music scene, like as far as the people like us who are putting things together, like I, I do think that you have to value the patrons and you have to show them love, you know. Um, and then beyond that, you got to kind of hold their hand a little, you know, because I think the mistake people make is that everybody's as passionate about music as we are, and they're not. You know, they, like, music serves a purpose. For us, it's our life. You know, but for a lot of other people, it just serves a purpose. You know, um, that's not, you know, it's not all encompassing like it is for us. So sometimes if, if, if you're passionate, uh, you, you got to take the reins and um, hold their hand a little and tell them, you know, this is where you want to go. This is who you want to see. This is what you're going to enjoy. But you got to be right about it, you know. So you definitely don't want to say, you know, you try to like squeeze them because you want to make a dollar and then you've lost, uh, you know, you've lost their trust. Yeah. 100%. Like about my goal, Euler, I mentioned it's my goal mainly is to help as many groups as I can. And that venue idea is a great way to do it. Cause if you have enough people who want to play and keep playing and you're going to keep getting better people in terms of patrons, well, not better, but you know, more people who are trusted and who trust you what you're doing. And that's what I'm aiming for. So I can build a very trustworthy community that where everyone's got each other's backs. That's one of my end goals with this project. And at the end of the day, like, the one thing I'm positive we're going to have are people who want to play. That is not going away. Um, the music industry's changed a lot. Uh, I think if you're, if you're pattern, if you're, I, I feel like I meet, I still meet more bands who think that they're going to chart their careers like the Rolling Stones did rather than you know, like, that's a very outdated perspective of the music industry of like, you know, we're going to play live as much as we can and someone's going to see us and we're going to get signed. Like, yes, yeah, scout, a scout's going to see us and we're going to get signed and the rest is going to be history. You don't think that still is a method that is proven successful? I guess, Mike, how, how did you guys find some of the bands that you've seen? You know what I mean? Was it based well, on live shows and I, stuff like I, that? I see, what you, I see what you're getting at with that. But the thing is, nowadays, is like a late, like a, a big, like we'll say Roadrunner, Sumerian, Rise. Mm -hmm. They're not looking for just a band that sounds good. They want a band that they can see has done everything already. They can, they, you know, they're working the social medias. They're able to get their own merch and able to produce sales. They're able to get them Spotify, them YouTube, them numbers up all on their own before they even think about handing them a contract. You know, it's right. not so much about, you know, going out, oh, this band's pretty dope. I think we can do something with this. No, they want somebody that they know is going to be able, that they're already doing it. And then they're probably going to, you know. Well, well, that's the thing. It, it kind of reflects when people are like, if, if someone knew how to create a viral post, that that information would be worth 
a billion dollars, if not more. Mm-hmm. Nobody actually knows how to make anything go viral. It's true. 100%. This, <laughs> it just sort of this, happens on its own. Just, yeah, yeah like, like, like companies will be like, we'll create a viral video for you. <laughs> but like, they're hoping that they do, but it's not guaranteed. It might just not go viral, you know? Same goes with um, music. Like, there's so many, I would say like 10 to 1 talented bands who don't get discovered compared to the ones that do there's plenty like the idea that like only like I, I will say this about artists who have you know are successful you for for anyone anyone who says people like that there's artists who are successful that don't have talent that's not true or, or at least maybe there's a couple but most of them are very talented they're just not doing something that you like you know, um, well, it's it's music is objective. You know, you know, right. it's just yeah, no, one hundred percent. I agree. I agree. But but talent and even the fact that you love their music is not a sure indication of whether or not um, you know they're going to be successful. And I think what labels are looking for is you're able these days you're able to show them everything else in advance. And, and, you know, and they can consider all of that when they, you know, if they want to sign you. Um, But the funny thing about that is you're looking for somebody who can boost you beyond the point that you've already reached. So the question is, what are you offering them that they can't do for themselves? You know, and that's what lends to that relationship, you know, um, and basically for Moon Rocket, that's really all we are, is if we do something that you don't do, then we could have a good relationship, but we're not trying to do something you already do well. We, we can admit that we don't, you know, we can't really offer you anything. You, you're better off with just not being under the label, you know, or under our label, you know, you're too big for us, basically, you know? Yeah. And, and I admit that, and I really don't pursue artists who I feel like, you know, I would, I would just be holding them back, you know, from, cause they're going to expect, I think what an artist signs with a label, naturally they're going to expect like some growth, you know? Um, and if you can't really grow them beyond where they are, because they're already at a point where you're pretty much, that's about your wall or whatever, like, is it, are you really doing them any good? I mean, I've had artists say, well, you know, we would just like to put your name on it, you know? And I'm a young label, so we're, we're still having those conversations. I don't really know how to navigate that yet. You know, what do you, what do you mean by like, what put your name on it? Or what do you mean by that? Like the optics of being able to say that you're on a label. Okay. So, Okay. Gotcha. You so know, basically, okay. Yeah. So, like, I, ju- I guess they just feel like being independent, even though, like, the amount, of, the amount of like followers or what you've, your artists have seen in streams, they're already matching that. You know what I mean? So it's like, well, what benefit would you have being on our label? You're, you, you're probably the next level up. You know, and it's like, well, 
just, you know, cause we're, we'd love to be involved in a label, you know? So for me, that's kind of like, um, I mean, I got to feel like, you know, I, I don't know. I, like I said, I haven't totally not considered that, but we haven't done it yet. So far, the, the couple bands who have offered that, I've told them, I don't think it's appropriate, you know, um, for me to do that, you know. Um, but, you know, going back to... Um, I'm sorry. Where where do we come from? How do we get here? <laughs> Don't worry. The rail, the train of thought rails have already been derailed. Yeah. How do we get here? <laughs> um, yeah, this, uh, this, this is seriously a really good point in it because it's something that I run into a lot where uh, like Zach here, Zach here would be like, oh, like this guy would be really good on PBE or we've even had it where our friend Dakota, who isn't here tonight, where he's been like, this band would be good with your roster, but it's like, I can't do nothing for them. They ain't already done. Like, they're way too big. You know what I mean? Right. And you have to you have to look at it from that perspective. Like, for example, like, BBE, what we're really good at, we offer a lot of help with recording, mixing and mastering, making sure we have, a, you know, you have a good sound and quality product going out. And we're good at shows. You know, we, like I said, we, that, uh, shows are a big thing for us. You know, uh, the online digital market, that was, that's something I'm still working at. And we've had some success with it over the lot, you know, the course of the last year and a half of COVID, but that's, that's brand new territory for us. But like the shows and whatnot have always been kind of our thing and what we've been able to really push and do. But yeah, it gets to a point where like you'll, see somebody and they'll maybe inquire and it's like okay like yes i can help you you're at a place where you know i can make this worth your while and then there's just some other people that you know it's like you i'm, I'm not going to be able to do i would love to have you but like you don't need me you know it's just going to be a waste of your time and my time and whatnot you know and then there's just yeah, and I, i'm sure i'm sure you feel the same way where it's like we hope we get to the point where we can have you yeah, an yeah, artist yeah, of your exactly. caliber. Yeah. Yes, exactly. you know, but you, you know, I don't want to hold you back. You know, yeah. I don't want it of my selfish, you know, want to be able to to parade you on my label and, and oh, how cool is it that I got this artist that I love? Um, so yeah, so but if you love it so much, then you definitely have the value. You definitely have value that you can bring as well. So that's one thing where it's like, yeah, I got you with that. But then when it's like, yeah, I, I feel like there's no limits where it's because if you join there's a difference between signing and then quote-unquote signing and just joining a team so I, I'm I, I see what you guys are saying but obviously if you love something and you join a team you definitely have value yeah yeah as well yeah. to their squad to their team quote-unquote so um, I think what like I think what um like what what makes me a little nervous is just the idea that people I think like um, definitely a mistake that artists can make is when they join a situation when they're in a label or whatever is they kind of like okay I've been going 100% for so long finally I'm on a label I'm going to pull it back to 70 
you know, like now I got somebody else to help me out and I can just coast and focus on the music. And, you know, uh, <clears throat> you know, if you're doing really well, you're, you might actually see, uh, um, see like a, a slowdown in, you know, and, and that's the last thing I want to see. Um, but no, I agree with you when you, uh, when, when you, um, are passionate about artists, you're naturally, you're right. You're going to give them some value. Um, I think that, you know, I think what a really one of the things, I don't know how you guys have, let me ask you guys, have you guys asked your artists that you want them to do a certain amount of things before they release their album? Yep. What do you mean? Like, what do you mean by like things? What are things like setting so, up? So, Oh, go, go ahead. ahead. <laughs> I, I would say stuff like setting up promotion, making sure you're going to get on, say, say minimal at best, get on a couple online radio stations, get on a couple local blogs, making sure there's a reaction video to your music, making sure there's some sort of buzz mm -hmm. going out for your, your song or your EP album, whatever, outside. So, so what I was going to say is actually um, like, you know, because it's actually like make sure you have like a press kit like your photos a yeah. music video um you know like some kind of uh, additional promotional video footage mm -hmm. so basically like if you give me everything i can just have our um social media team you know because our label is not just me I, I got a few people involved um i can have our team like you know organize and make sure that your stuff's getting promoted appropriately um, whereas I've, you know, I'm for, I've had artists basically, you know, finish their album. They're in such a rush to release it. And then they don't have any of the promo materials when it comes out. So all we have to promote your album is your album cover and your links. And that's it. You know, um, so, yeah, I mean, I was just curious if you guys have what you guys do to ensure that those things are, are completed, because obviously you, you make a deal with an artist and you start promoting that you're going to, hey, like, great news. We're going to be putting out this person's single, like, we're pumped and more details coming soon. And then the artist is like, all right, it's ready. It's done. And I, I uploaded it. And, you know. Uh, this is the release date, and we're like, <laughs> yeah. A lot of a lot of the things, like I said, for me, I know some. Like I have a press kit. I know some, not all of them. The ones that do that are a little more show heavy, that do like a lot of the bigger shows and whatnot. I know they have press kits. It's not something. I, I kind of have like a. I got my guys that are up here. Then I. I got, I got green guys and then I got guys that are pretty seasoned, you know, and then all, <clears throat> but, uh, I, like I said, my, I always, the main thing I preach is always like, always plan on, like I said, getting some sort of coverage and some sort of buzz and dot, you know what I mean? Surrounding your release, never, ever, ever just drop a track willy nilly in the middle of the night after you think you finished mixing and mastering it. Um, that that's always been my bread and butter right there. Yeah, you know what's really interesting is 
you know, like I said earlier, when we started uh, promoting, you know, looking for avenues to promote the artists that we were working mm-hmm. with, yeah. um, we got really into playlisting. And it was something that basically was recommended by every, you know, blog or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, YouTube video that I watched. It was like, well, you got to make a playlist in your style. And it's like, you know, and I, I'd avoided doing that for so long. I would submitted a playlist, but I didn't think it was possible for me to make one and use that as an engine to promote our own artist. Um and then until like, you know, until COVID gave me enough time to, to, you know, come up with kind of a plan to promote it and stick to it and give it three, four months and just have that graduate to like, you know, oh, we got a thousand followers on this playlist now. We can literally, we could be the curator now, you know? Um, and because I got into curating, now I'm on the other side of it and I'm getting the submissions from the artists, whether they be through email or through a third party site or whatever. And because I've been doing it now for like six months as a curator, I've actually had multiple submissions from the same artists and I'm actually able to watch them, how they promote each release, you know? Um, And these are international artists. I mean, these are artists in America, Canada, the UK and, and other parts of Europe and stuff really from all over. And, you know, like, obviously a lot of them, I know they're working with, um, you know, promotion companies or, you know, PR companies that, and I'm getting to see like what their method is of rolling out singles <laughs> and how they're attacking like the international market or the streaming market or whatever. I mean, and yeah, a lot of these artists, they're getting radio play, you know, they're buzzing. They're not just like Spotify uh, artists, like, you know, they're, they're doing the whole thing, you know? Um, and I think like, like, yeah, like, I'm seeing a lot of them that every release is pretty well organized. Mm-hmm between the live video the music video obviously they're doing a curating promotion uh you know whatever podcasts or interviews that they could do you know and you know i it's i i think when you have an artist who recognizes that you can connect your passion with that to you know so i i do think you know like i said like i think labels are definitely looking for that in advance of signing someone on in the interview part of it is actually kind of why i'm here that's that's where i got myself in this that's what i do i interview groups i interview bands i help solo artists i just want to spread as much love in, in with music as i can and that's where I began this whole thing. That's how I met Dakota. That's how I met Pat, Danny, and now you. It's like, that's how I met all of you guys, was through just that love for music to where I wanted to speak with bands and help them promote their stuff. And it hasn't even been a full year yet for me. January 19th will mark one year since I've done this. I want to be on your one-year show. <laughs> we'll do a 100 episode. With it. We'll do episode 100 with everybody. 64 fucking people. 
I can see it now. Give us like fucking three minutes for that one. Yeah, probably. We, I mean, we 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 got five minutes left on this, but it's like <laughs> I can see it now. Just a bunch of little squares. Everyone just. <laughs> I mean, okay, I'll, okay, I'll put something. Weird. I'll put something special together, though. I will. I'll put something together. Where? Uh, but this okay. has been a hell of a journey. <laughs> What was I going to ask? Oh, okay, okay. So, I, so since we have label heads that are musicians here, what is the struggle for you as the musician versus being a label head? Ooh. Do what you do juggle you mean, well? What do you mean by, like, like, like struggle? Say, everybody, everybody makes fun of me because they're like, oh, Pat sings for a billion bands. I'm, I'm in, like, three different, three or four different recording projects and I do features and stuff a lot, but like, oftentimes I'm like, okay, like I have this EP or I have this single coming out and I'm like, okay, I need to do this, this, and this and get all my ducks in a row for this release. But a lot of times I end up feeling bad because I'm like, I have like 20 artists that I have to worry about. So do I worry about me and push that off or do I push myself off? I mean... Obviously, every day you start with that priority list and just kind of <laughs> tack out what you can. Um, Pretty much it. As far as, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah I'm, I'm I mean, as far it. as just like deciding when to work on your stuff and when to not, um, uh, hopefully, and I feel like you guys were saying that you release your own music or it's like your music is through your guys's label as well so you have to kind of just i treat it as fair as possible where it's like hey this is a band i am approaching it professionally this other <laughs> band came first so they get first dibs or you know what i mean it's just all a professional mindset at that point you obviously took the band in even if it's your own band because you're a fan of it you play in the band but also if you're a label if you aren't going to treat it fairly and professionally, then I would not even want to be releasing my own stuff. I feel like the point of me being in control of the whole thing is because I want to be as fair as possible. So um, fortunately enough, I didn't bring more in until I felt like I had complete control over my own situation. I released my own, pushed that idea to the max, and then said, okay, I did that as far as I could go. Let me see what else I can do. So I kind of learned the balance before I just like jumped in head first, you know what I mean? So um, just kind of learning what your limits are and then taking on more as you can. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I definitely think everything you said is true. And, and, and my reflection on it is that you have to consider two things. One Where's the artist meeting you? You know, like, I know what I can do. I know what I offer. You know, if your answer to that is to shut down and do nothing yourself, well, you know, I can only do so much. You know, we have to work as a team, you know. Be at least 50-50. Yeah, we got to work as a team. So I can't be 80 and you be 20. Like, that's not going to work for... Because in the end, it's I'm not going to see the results I want because you're only putting in 20%, you know? The other thing is, are, are you doing well? And if the artist is popping off, like, I'm going to want to show them some extra love for sure, you know? Uh, I don't know about all. I mean, yeah. do you think so? I mean, isn't it yeah, just Yeah, I think if they're doing well, you got to, you know I mean? if you're, 
I think I think if you're doing well, you got to fan the flames. You know, I mean, you know, you you only get so many opportunities. From my experience, where artists are hitting like, you know, if they're if they have a good release and they're hitting like a good moment, like you really want to try to push them to the next level. And you, you know, it, I, I hate saying it like this, but you got to capitalize on your cash cow. Yeah, because because if they're not, you have to you have to then they have to go back to the board. But what, what's the motivation then for a younger band then to come through? You know what I mean? Well, let me let me um, let me um, expand. So let me give you an example. OK, let's say an artist has a single that's really popular. A lot of people would say, oh, release another single mm-hmm. mistake. I say push it harder, push the single that people like harder. It already showed it's already showing that it's your most popular song. So a lot of times they get artists like, oh, we really want to follow up with another song because our last single was our most popular one. And I'm like, did you make a music video for it? I mean, did you really get it in every ear that you possibly could? Because that you might not have a better song. We're about you to know? cut out again. We're, gonna... We're back, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> well... Their phones died, so it's just me and Danny No-No here, your lovely coast and co-host. As the other two <laughs> went, Ta-da. I ain't going nowhere. Like that's what I like to hear. But <laughs> it's been a long session too, so I really think we should wrap things up. <laughs> but with us tonight were the owners of Brutal Business Entertainment, Moon Rocket Records, and Big Eleanor Records. And to tune in for more, wait, fuck, please stay tuned for more because we will be doing stuff like this again in the future. And we all hope you enjoy this. This has been First Listen Media from Connecticut and everyone else from PA to discuss the music scene of PA. You all have a wonderful night. Big Eleanor Records.